So I'm a serial social entrepreneur. In some of my earlier ventures, I went in with the assumption, like if I'm making the right decisions for the cause, that I'm gonna be poor and struggling. Racism and inequity are products of design. They can be redesigned. How do we help people design lots of different things, organizations, interventions, products, uh, with a mind towards equity? We're just trying to, you know, eradicate racial inequity in this country. Just eradicate <laughs> racial inequity. Sponsored by How to Start Something, an online entrepreneurship course designed to engage students in an eight-step process to turn their ideas into businesses or social ventures. To learn more, visit howtostartsomething.com. Dear Rockstar, thank you for joining us. I am here today with Christine Ortiz. Oh my gosh, you were one of the first people I met when I came to this town. Right now your business is called? The Equity Design Collaborative. Whoa, that even sounds brainy. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, so uh, the short answer is we're figuring it out. <laughs> I love um, that honesty. Yeah, so we are uh, some hybrid of a design firm, of a consulting firm, um, that is really looking at uh, how do we help people design lots of different things, organizations, interventions, products, uh, with a mind towards equity. Um, and when we say equity, we're really thinking about um, the disparities that exist because of uh, demographic factors. So uh, we're particularly interested in race, but also thinking about socioeconomic factors, gender, disability, you name it. So design thinking and then layered in at the intersection of of equality. Yes. Wow. Okay, well, let's spin back, right? Because you've had this long entrepreneurial life for a young person. Yeah, so when we first met, I was uh, running a school I had started. Started a school, that's all. Yes. <laughs> did that, yeah. <laughs> and what, how did that happen? Yeah, so, uh, so I'm a serial social entrepreneur. Um, so I don't know if Actually, we've had this conversation, but I started my first company in high school. You did. I did. Uh, okay, what? Tell us that. Let's start there. Is yeah. that where it started? Started? Yes, I think so. Okay. <laughs> um, so I am a Florida girl. Um, so my dad was in the military, um, but uh, retired when I was in middle school. So have been in Orlando for all of my life, um, except for when I've left first school. Um, and Florida actually was a second state to sue the tobacco industry and win back in the late 90s. Um, and so... Surprising out of this state. Yes. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but really pushed the envelope there. So sue the tobacco industry won, got money, and the governor at the time, Governor Lawton Childs, decided to put a chunk of that money into tobacco prevention um, and specifically targeting teenagers and trying to convince them not to start smoking. Wow. Um, and so as a high school student, I got kind of roped into helping to design that program here in Florida. Okay, the, uh, the advocacy campaign or what yeah, part of it? Yeah, so it, both, it was a, both a grassroots component and then also a media campaign. And so the media campaign, some folks might still know it because um, it started in Florida then became a national campaign. It's called Truth. Um, and so uh, super edgy commercials when we first started when, like, with like, body bags and like all of that kind oh, okay. of Okay, so stuff. you guys were at the beginning at of all At the very beginning of all of that. Um, and so... As a high schooler. As a high schooler. How did you get involved as a high schooler? Yeah, so very randomly, like, Governor Childs 
basically sent out invitations through existing organizations. Um, I received mine through student council um, and basically was like, we're doing this, um, which was really innovative at the time and, and has now been replicated, thankfully, but um, basically said like adults have been trying to design campaigns to get kids to not smoke forever and they've never worked. So how about we get a bunch of kids in the room ask them to design the campaign and see if they can figure out something that oh, might work. Wow. Okay. Um, and so uh, he sent out an invitation for students to attend this like one week summit. I actually had no idea what the topic was. I just knew I got out of school for a week and was like, sign me up. And you went. Um, and I went. Um, and the way they had designed the event was essentially they had um, you working in these workshops. And unbeknownst to us, the facilitators were kind of like looking in each of the groups of like what kids were kind of standing out and were really taking to this methodology. And so I kept getting like picked and put into smaller rooms um, throughout the course of the four days to the point where on the last day I was on stage helping present what we had developed um, to the governor um, and then just continued to work on the campaign wow. after so that. We talk about these events like it's a lie that it's like, it is true that you need to do small things repeatedly to create habits, but life is created in extreme events. It's yeah. the extreme events, good and bad, that design a life. And that was an extreme event. Yeah, and one of the things that I always come back to that that's stayed with me is just like the power of a successful experience, yeah. right? So tobacco in and of itself wasn't particularly compelling to me, but being in a situation where I knew that I was creating something that was changing people's lives and saving people's lives um, really influenced me and my belief in myself and what you know the individual in a group could do. Yeah. So then? Yeah. So um, the next starter thing? Yeah. So that was what led to the first company. So. Um, Florida did it, was super successful. Then there was a national campaign, which was super successful. So then other countries and each individual state wanted their own campaign. Um, and the only people who knew how to do that were pe the people who were involved with the Florida project and then with the national project. And so um, was uh, consulting for the firm that had run both the Florida national um, projects as a, high schooler. Uh, as a high schooler and then got frustrated with how we were uh, being um, uh, interacted with. So um, a couple of us teenage high schoolers decided we would start a competing firm oh because that's what you do. And so did the state start <laughs> hiring you? Yeah. So um, yeah, so Florida was, you know, obviously one of our first clients, and so we started working with some counties, doing some work in Florida, uh, but then also did some larger work. We did lots of work with New York, which had a really large campaign. Um, we were hired to actually completely design and run Montana's entire statewide campaign. So how long um, did that go? Yeah, so the crazy thing is that company still exists. Uh, my co-founder still runs it. It's his main source of business. Um, I did that full-time for about 10 years. Oh. Um, Wow, so it was a sustainable Yeah, it was sustainable, thing. yeah. So what happened was kind of like the country decided tobacco wasn't sexy anymore and defunded most of the programming. And so there wasn't as much 
you know, revenue that we could generate. Um, we tried to pivot into other sectors, but at that point we were still in our early 20s and the credibility we had didn't transfer. Okay. Um, and a lot of the other sectors didn't have the same kind of focus on the, you know, the youth actually creating their own campaign. But amazing, right? So, like yeah. who, like you get involved in this, then you grow a business in high school. Yeah. And so what was the next big occurrence in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so then I opened a tutoring center, super random, and I actually have been reflecting on this. So I've never left a venture without having already started once. I've always been doing multiple things at once. So um, that's the word cereal. So, yeah. so you have a couple babies at <laughs> so, once. Like this yeah, business. ideas. Um, are always percolating and so um, kind of very randomly so while I did my undergrad while I was running this the tobacco consulting firm um, and in my undergraduate studies had kind of started to be interested in education as like a sector and so got my teaching certification um, went back to my old high school to like say hi to my one of my favorite teachers who was a chemistry teacher um, I had gone to school for chemical engineering and um, and she happened to be ill and was missing a lot of school and so um, kind of very serendipitously she was like well would you come and sub for me while I'm out because most subs can't actually teach chemistry yeah. and so the students are like not chemical getting, engineering that's you know, a whole nother thing like, right <laughs> we need an hour for that okay yeah. so you uh, start tutoring so yeah so I started subbing and through the subbing then met students who were like oh I need a little bit extra help after school so then I started doing a little bit of extra help and then realized like I was spending 10 20 hours a week with you know doing this which told me oh there's a need for this so opened a tutoring center um, ended up uh, getting space um, this was after after, after college yeah um, yeah so then opened uh, a brick-and-mortar place that's walking distance from my high school um, and did that for a couple years, and that was like as I was transitioning away from doing the tobacco stuff, I kind of went full time into the tutoring center. Um, and then through the tutoring center, started to help to homeschool some students, and got really frustrated feeling like these students were only being homeschooled because there wasn't a school that was right for them, not because homeschooling was actually what was right for them. Um, and so then in, after two years, turned the tutoring center into a school. So each of your experiences led to another, you uncovering yeah. something that you were interested in solving. Yeah. When you think about it, some people struggle to start their first thing. Yeah. What, <laughs> how have you been able to start so many? Yeah, I think one of the, and, and I credit to like just starting so early, I just say yes a lot. Um, I think, uh, I'm always open to new experiences, meeting new people. Um, I think just being in interesting, di seemingly divergent spaces um, constantly and then having the interaction of all of that um, mixed with this like I got very, very signals I got very early on that like oh if you have an idea just do something about it right yeah like, it's just your core just belief take action that, yeah that you can make a difference yeah what's been your hardest most challenging moment as an entrepreneur oh gosh do you have first box of tissues um <laughs> with the 
Um, I had, um, so it, with my first school, um, I... So you started uh, a school. So started a school, um, and it was, right, like, from a um, impact perspective, like, incredibly fulfilling, like, best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Um, the business model around schooling, if you're actually trying to serve students who are traditionally underserved, yeah. doesn't exist. Like, in this like country, we have a how problem. How to make money. Yes. Serving like, someone that can't be served can't, other places. Yes. Um, and so... Um, so meaningful, but not profitable or sustainable? yet to find a sustainable business model <laughs> for what we're trying to do for the kinds of schools that we were trying to build for the kind of student population that we were trying to build. Um, and then layer on top of that, um, I just had, you know, I had someone who I met, who we clicked, who raised to kind of the stature of co-founder, um, who I then had a falling out with. And then like all of the, we had merged our both business and personal lives, and then for that to fall apart in the way that it did. Um, Meaning I, a romantic I think thing? About that. Or no, just not romantic, person. but like our daughters were best friends, our families had kind of integrated, right? Like, And so the friendship blew up? Friendship, well, friendship and business relationship simultaneously. Like, was it Mount St. Um, Helens, or? It, it really was. Like, um, I think one day, like, a movie should be made about that part of my life because it really was just like um, kind of crazy to the point where like she sued me and like op-eds in the newspaper and like went to the board and like was trying to get me overthrown and um, I mean we just need like to a talk really... about this this issue of you're in business with a partner and then looking back on it, like what's your yeah. advice to yourself around that now? We never yeah. can see it then. Absolutely not. What would you say now? Yeah, I mean, it's all the things that people always tell entrepreneurs, like- Well, what would you tell put yourself? Put things on, on paper, right? Like get things in writing. And in the moment you're like, oh, I trust this person with my life. Like they're my best friend. They would never, right? Like you just don't. And then when you're doing something that is like a social venture where like, you know, so one, you'd say, yeah. put it in writing. Everything in writing. Everything, everything, everything you in writing. yourself? Um, you know, people, and people ask me, because I still have this, like, merging of my personal and professional lives in a way that some people think is odd. <laughs> um, and I don't, I still think that, like, that's an okay way. Um, I think it's an authentic way for working me to live. Working with friends, working with family. Is that yeah. what you mean by merging? Yeah. Um, but I do think that, I think that I used to have an assumption that I could only work with people who I was also best friends with. Um, <laughs> and now it, I and might not be able to I be your best friend if I work with you. <laughs> Or it's okay, I can work with someone who I wouldn't be best friends with, right? Amen, like, yeah. What uh, other advice so, do you give yourself now uh, on this whole founder thing? Yeah. Um, I just... Uh, looking back on it, right, I think that I was trying to simultaneously to lead but also create um, like a 
a more distributed sense of like ownership and in my staff. Um, and I just went about that by minimizing myself instead of by, um, by I did it by making myself smaller instead of bigger, right? Like, so I felt like in order for other people to feel like they also owned what we were building together, I had to like diminish what my own place I think that's there. really powerful. So to be an empowering value-based leader, a servant leader, right? So we do, we have to elevate others, but did we abdicate? Yeah, our sense of leadership, our role, and a clarity of the boundaries. Yes, that's ex- we that was have exactly the equity, right? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, that's, so that's really powerful. How do I be a servant and leave my and empower people, and still lead with all diligence? I think it back to that. You know, that comes out of the Bible, but that idea of leading with all diligence, but also knowing that my leadership should be servant. Mm-hmm. So you just got your PhD at Harvard. Yes. You are a smarty. Like those glasses belong on your face. Yes. Like when I can't even, I can't even say that without getting an anxiety attack. Almost. What is that like, and why? Yeah. So I. So I like school. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I start uh, schools. I go to school. Yeah. I get my PhD. Um, and it's sometimes confusing to folks because I'm. You know, uh, my work for a long time was around creating a very different type of school. Yeah. I was the kid who traditional school was, was made for. Um, but I recognize that I'm in the minority, one. And two, I also recognize that the things that actually have made me into the person that I am didn't come from school. Um, but the confidence I had in myself came from being successful in school. So why, PhD, why did you go back to Harvard? Yeah. So I... I had an idea, a business idea. Is it the one you're working um, on? No. So it's one, I, one before. I love it. <laughs> Don't worry about that idea you have now because it's not where it's you're going to end it. up with it. It is not So it was a different yeah, idea that different idea. you in to get your PhD. Yeah. So I had an idea and just realized that I didn't have the knowledge, the networks, the... I needed something like an accelerator slash incubator space, but a traditional startup one wasn't going to right. serve the purpose. You needed this kind of network, the education network. I needed the network. education network, and I needed the time to work on myself, um, reeling off of this many things, including this disaster this we just talked about. Mount St. Helens yeah. blow up. So how far into the PhD did the idea pivot or iterate? How far were you? So I was in a three-year program. I was working on the original idea that I applied to the, that was like in my application um, for the first two years. And then in the last year, as I was starting to write my dissertation, it switched into what I'm doing now. I love that. So what, how did you deal with that? Yeah. tears um, uh, but I I think I've always seen kind of like the the evolution of it all right like as this is a thing for now I've never thought of anything as like a forever so you come into life come into everything you do is kind of a project like, mentality yes I wish I would have been born that way. I have this mentor, Rachel, and she's like 92 right now. And the last couple of years, she's just like, 
I mean, I'm too old to be learning this right now, I feel like. <laughs> and she's like, Pam, life is just projects. Let that go. There's this natural beginning, ending, and growing. And I, I think internally I've struggled with that. Like, I almost believe everything I start has got to, like, you know, like, go the whole duration of my life. That seems so stupid, right? Like, I can't even believe I said it. But I think you had an advantage by having this project. How, how long did you beat yourself up? I'll know by the answer to yeah. this how different we are. How long? You're like, two years you invest in this. Yeah. How long did you beat yourself up? Yeah, well, I mean, any day now, I'll be over it. No. Um, <laughs> it's only been a year. It's only been a year. No, I think, I mean, I th- there was a couple of months where it was like actually, you know, an intentional like internal dialogue of like, are you really giving... are are you putting one thing to bed so that you can focus on this other thing? Um, And I think this transition in particular was a little easier because I... I see them as interrelated. Like, and this kind of grew up out of this. it grew out of, yes. The current idea grew out of the... It goes back to Seth Godin's thing. Are you in a dip? Like, are you in a dip that you need to push through? Mm-hmm. Are you in a cul-de-sac and you're just going around <laughs> and around? And this is like the big, get over it, let this die. And that's yeah. the difference, I think, for an entrepreneur that's used to starting a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So what's the evidence? How do you know you're in a dip that you got to push through and a cul-de-sac? So feedback from people. Right, so always talking to people, always sharing the idea. Uh, with Blank Schools, which was the previous idea, it was always like, a, oh, that's interesting. Um, but with our new idea, it's like, yes, tell me, how can I buy it, what, right? Like, tell me when you're done because I want to use this. I know someone who it wants to use this. Like, it was just the traction and the interest was See, just like you just said something so important sometimes we take oh good as traction yeah it's only traction if i want to buy it i want to invest in it or i want to give you a grant for yeah. it when we're talking about an economic engine that has to yeah. be either sustainable, sustainable or profitable exactly that's so good because i think sometimes our ego gets and we start taking these yeah. Non-economic signs as traction. Yeah. No, I was stuck in the like, but we need, you just don't understand, Trying right? To, like, I've been there. This is just, really the best idea. People just don't get it. People just, it's, it's, you know. So your why for your business right now is what? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're just trying to, you know, eradicate racial inequity in this country. Yeah. So that's just why. That. So that's what we're working on. What about. kind of feedback are you getting now as you're taking out your products and services? Yeah. So, I mean, it is night and day from Like, what's the things. response? Yeah. So we've done things like we published a white paper uh, on Medium um, in November of last year. What's that which called? It's called... Uh, Racism and inequity are products of design. They can be redesigned. Racism and inequity are products of design. They can be redesigned. Wow, we will link to that. Yeah. (laughs) So that was a white paper. Yeah, which we wrote um, more for us, right, to clarify our thinking. But also we were like, oh, maybe, like, we can try to find the, like, three or four other people who are interested in this, like, very obscure interaction of, like, two very different fields. Um, And we've had, right, we have 
thousands of views every week and you know so has this been the lead generation and prospecting so to get over to you guys to talk about what you can do for me yep yeah and so that's how we've been getting all of our like cold interest and found your um, tribe yep and found other people who are similarly working on so to what do you guys problem. offer so if an organization what do you guys do yeah so right now we're looking for clients who want to engage in either organizational redesign or have an initiative that they're trying to design some kind of program or intervention um, and want to partner with us so that their design process that they're engaging in is fundamentally an equitable design process. Is that mostly nonprofits, ed educators? Like, who has the biggest pain around that? Yeah, so we're figuring that out. So uh, my two co-founders, Caroline Hill, Michelle Molitor, um, and I, the three of us, our background is in, in education. So, right. um, so we see this in education people trying to design new schools, but even the design of other kinds of services or interventions that aren't designing the school themselves. Um, but one of the cool things with the, the white paper, with the Medium post, is that we're getting calls from all kinds of sectors, particularly public health. So it, it, it tends to be people who already kind of have an eye towards Equality. this being a, an issue that they want to deal with. Um, but who also have bought into kind of design and design thinking as the innovation and problem solving process that they think can help them get where they're going. So you are a serial social entrepreneur that's a young rock star with her PhD. <laughs> yeah. what, would, what would your advice to your younger self be? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Oh, gosh. I think one of the, the things that really drove me earlier were kind of ex, very external. Um, so I was trying to be these like caricatures of people that I thought were like what successful women were. Um, and I saw that manifesting in lots of different ways, I think. Um, some of my like management personnel issues was because I was like trying to be this caricature of like a CEO or a manager um, and and not being kind of true to myself. I think mm. it, in my personal life where like I got married because I thought I was at an age where I was supposed to get married, right? Like I was kind of like doing these things because I thought I was supposed to do them. Um, and luckily at this point I've like let go of all of the supposed to's. And the advice um, is? And so the, I think the advice is like, let, you know, like I wish I had come to that realization earlier that there is no supposed to, that there is no like one path, there is no one, you know. It's kind of liberating yourself to be yourself. Yeah. How do we best do that though? Again, hopefully any day now, I'll right. <laughs> figure it out, like, right? That's wisdom, like, know thyself, the, and then yeah. how do you like be true to your authentic self instead of thinking that you there's another path? Do you have a favorite book that you like to give entrepreneurs or that, you're, that inspires you that you go back to? No, I don't. And you but what I will educated say, woman I know. I, yeah, what I, will, what I will say is I read a, a book a week, and I think that that is actually like the thing it's just like constant input of what are you new, reading right now different so i'm recently on a kick investigating the difference between indigenous and western culture and knowledge and ways of 
knowing things. Yeah. Um, and so uh, uh, braiding sweet grass, I actually just read, which I highly recommend. Okay, what happened? What um, what's it braiding called? sweet grass. Braiding sweet grass. Yeah. So it's it's an indigenous scientist, right? So like, what does it mean to be an indigenous scientist, and well, like how those things interact, and um, and how you might think about holding them, you know, at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so. So myths about yeah. entrepreneurship that are not true and, to, and that business yeah. women need to think about. What are the myths out there? Gosh. Um, so I think this like sacrificing everything that you have to sacrifice body, personal life, like to be a successful entrepreneur. Um, I think I really believed that, right? Like, if I wasn't pulling all-nighters, if I, like, was talking to my mom every day, right? Like, if I was doing the, if I was going on vacation, then, like, I wasn't actually an entrepreneur. Okay, so the, this lie of it has to be hard work. Someone else uprooted this, this thing of some people say it's ease and it should flow and it should be fun and there should be joyful and their whole metaphor for work is radically different than, you know, it's got to be grueling, it's got to be every hour. Mm. So that's your first one. What's your second myth? Um, that making a decent living and doing good in the world are mutually exclusive. Ah, oh, I love that. I that think you can I, do good in the you, world and make a living. Yeah, and I think, you know, in some of my earlier ventures, I went in with the assumption, like, if I'm making the right decisions for the cause, that I'm going to be poor and, right, like, and struggling. Yeah. It's which then a was a self-fulfilling... scarcity thing. Yes, which was then a self-fulfilling you know, prophecy kind of a deal where like, because, because if I, I made decisions, money, I must be a capitalist pig yeah. or something, right? Yeah. I have no values. Right. So, um, I wish that that was a mindset that I had. You have it <laughs> differently. Now, I do. And so hopefully both, <laughs> both can be true. Yeah. So what would you say to an entrepreneur that's really struggling, feels like giving up, their dream is not becoming a reality, they're not yeah. seeing any monetary blessing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is hard, right? I, I think the things that have really helped me have been my community, right? So um, just having lots and lots of people around me, but particularly having people around me who I trust and can hear when they tell me it's time. And not that it means necessarily, right? Like not that not making money right now means it's time to like no. cut um, and run. But, um, you know, I, I think with this last, right? Like this last example of like, I, I had to hear it from two people who I really respected who were like, you know, this is a really interesting idea. There's no money here. So it wasn't until I heard that from people and, and, and I felt like I had given it my best shot um, that I was like, okay, like this isn't it. 
at least right now. Um, so it was both those things, surrounded by the community, but then you had to be coachable enough, you had to be open enough to hear it. Yeah. Right, like those two things. That's a really thing, I think that's my last question. There's so many people that want to change the world with their ventures. Mm -hmm. What do we need to be doing? How, what do we need to be doing different so those people can stay alive and really change the world? Oh gosh. Well, that's a whole different <laughs> question. I mean, I think one of the really exciting things about my new work is that um, the interest is is really wide, including like, for example, philanthropists, right? Who like, we need to change the way we think about who we give money to, like what it means, right? To be um, deserving of funding, right? Like both philanthropy and investment, right? So but, some kind of social but impact criteria? Some, yeah, and just, I think there are still two, too high of a correlation between gender and race and socioeconomic status and whether or not your idea gets funding, right? Which has nothing to do with the value of the idea, but, um, and we are, I think, funders and philanthropists are starting to understand that like funding people who are really passionate about the problem but don't have the idea figured out yet um, is actually a really wise investment because people actually need money to figure out the best way to solve their problem, right? Like this myth of like the brilliant idea that we know is gonna work just because it came to someone's head is a, a myth, but that's how funding structures are set Yeah, up. that we're not funding this rapid prototyping funding, to see exactly, if we can get a solution. The testing, exactly. And we're we won't give that. you more money until you can get here, but we're so excited about this is a big, hairy social problem or there's yeah. such an opportunity cost if we don't solve it. Yeah. Wow. And there's people working on that from a social lens because mm -hmm. we see a lot of social impacting. But what I hear you saying is this needs to permeate into all of our investing. It's even how we're spending our money, right? Yeah. And saying, are you investing and spending money with people that want to make the world better? That people are making the world more equal, more just, and look like the people in your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it really comes back to each of us. I mean, because I'm thinking funders, but I'm also thinking we fund things by what we buy. Yeah. Where we pay taxes. Like, there's so many things of us making a more equal, just world. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's really that interaction between, like, the individual, but then also the institutional and structural things that are at play, right? Yeah. And so we have to, we have to attack them and simultaneously to really see some change. Yeah. All right, if we wrap up, any other thing you'd like to say today to entrepreneurs? <laughs> yeah, so just one thing that was on my mind, um, I feel like thinking about like the phases of my life so far, um, you know, I had one kind of like breakthrough when someone was like, Christine, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? Like, and that whole thing. And I was like, oh. And like, I felt like that shift in metaphor really changed the way I approached lots of things around my life. And then recently I had someone say, it's not a marathon either, right? Like, it's a relay race. And that just like blew my mind. 
And so now I'm in this place where I'm like, it, it right? Like, I need to, it's, right, it's okay when you're running, you're running, and it's okay because when you're not, other people are running too. And so how am I thinking about that handoff? How am I thinking about building that team, right? Like from a sector lens and from a personal life lens. Um, and so, yeah. I love that. It's not a sprint. It's not, it's not a marathon. It's a relay. And that really brings in, you can imagine all these different people and all mm -hmm. these different people running these relays. And that yeah. it goes back to the project idea too, that yeah. sometimes you've done all you can and it was only 400 meters. Yeah. And now you have a different okay. baton mm -hmm. and you're on a different team and you're yeah. doing your very best on that team and in that race. Yeah. Right? And if we each held ourselves accountable to show up, like you said, knowing ourselves, living our values, and running our best leg of whatever relay race we're yeah. on, we would change the world. Absolutely. Right? Okay, so where do we find you across social? And yeah, so at Christine Ortiz is my Twitter, um, and at Multiply Equity is our ventures Twitter. So. At Multiply Equity, like yeah. why would we not want to do that? <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm not intimidated at all that you've ran your relay and you've gotten your PhD and you're already so flipping young. I'm so excited to see all the cool stuff you do. Thank you. Thank you, you are a rock star. Thanks. Sponsored by How to Start Something, an online entrepreneurship course designed to engage students in an eight-step process to turn their ideas into businesses or social ventures. To learn more, visit howtostartsomething.com. Location and accommodations provided by The Gallery at Mills Park.